friends. Welcome to this week's episode of the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are excited to be studying and finishing out 2 Corinthians. Today we're going to be studying in chapters 8 through 13. And we actually already have a title for this week's episode that we think, well, if you're familiar at all with these these chapters, um, actually, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you've probably heard the scripture that we're titling it after. We had a title last week and no one understood what the title was. I don't think no one did. I just think it wasn't as obvious. We kind of did that on purpose. But this week's episode, we're titling Thorn. So... Anyway, we're going to get to that, but I'm sure that you probably know the scripture we're re- referring to just through that. Just so you know, we'll be talking a lot about weakness this episode. Our weakness is that it's uh, late on a Sunday night after a long vacation trip for us. So if we say something that doesn't make sense, don't send us angry emails. Just nod and smile. Laugh, even if it's not funny. And then... We'll be back with a more alert episode next week. I think that's a sure way to become your friend if you laugh at what you say. It's always a way to become my friend. Yeah, maybe everyone's. Anyway, we're talking about weaknesses today, and so I think that's a good thing, right? We Understand in our weaknesses. We are weak. So thank you for um, listening and putting up with our weaknesses. (laughs) But hopefully we have something good to share today. These are some really awesome chapters, some re- a really great way to, um, I think, rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ in this way. And so, but first off, we have a good question that I wanted to sh- um, touch today because I think it is a great one to touch while we're in these letters from Paul. Um, so this question comes from Nicole Partridge in North Carolina, and she says... In thinking about Paul and his conversion, I have been pondering on why heaven seems to interfere with agency from time to time with certain individuals in the scriptures. Paul would be an obvious one, and Alma the Younger would be another one. These individuals were working against the church and not seeming to come to repentance on their own accord. However, with divine intervention, they come around. So, the question is, why these individuals? So many other enemies of the church or even everyday people did not or do not receive amazing divine intervention, even though, she brings up, they are there are a lot of people against the church and have been throughout time to time, and um, I'm paraphrasing now. Sorry, Nicole. I hope I'm doing okay. But, um, so she, her question was, were they so integral to the progress of the church that they warranted a big push in the right direction? I think this is kind of a cool one to think about because we do have kind of, I think Paul, like we talked about last week in the beginning of last week's episode, Paul is kind of a, um, what would you say? I think there's a lot of different opinions on Paul. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be one way to put it. Well, that's a great question too. Um, it's, it's interesting to think, um, I was reviewing just barely, um, a study that I, a historical study I had a little while ago on some of the founding fathers uh, and their religious beliefs. And one of the things that they believed, uh, many of them were professed deists. And one of the tenets of deism is that God, the way that they would describe it is God is kind of like a clockmaker. He sets the things in motion. He builds the clock and then he presses play or turns it on 
and then sits back and lets the clock work. And so deism emphasized a lot of rational thinking and human endeavors and my own work, and that God really wasn't involved in the day-to-day. And that seems to be what this question is all about. When does God get involved and when does he not get involved? As I was thinking about it, though, my response would be, I think God is far more involved in far more people's lives than we recognize. Um, The very first verse in the Bible is about God's action. In the beginning, God created. Um, I'm doing this study right now in the Book of Mormon where I'm, I'm probably the last person in the church to do this, but I'm actually doing the names and titles of Christ in the Book of Mormon study. But I'm also highlighting anything that it mentions that the Lord does, and I'm overwhelmed. As much as the book is about what Nephi does, and Laman and Lemuel, and and Jacob, and King Benjamin, and Ammon and Aaron, it's far more a book about what the Lord does. It's a book about him acting and doing. One of the things I've often thought is we always talk about our agency as members of the church, which is good, but God also has his agency. He can choose to act And I think he does a lot more than we realize. Um, Paul is a very visible example where God visibly intervenes in someone's life. And to, uh, to Nicole's point, he doesn't always as visibly intervene in everybody's life. But he's a loving Heavenly Father. You think about the way that you relate to your kids. You're always involved in their life, sometimes in very visible ways, sometimes in very invisible ways. I, uh, I remember when I... Re- had the revelation talking to my mom um, as an adult, how much she was involved in the friends that I had growing up. I had no idea. I just thought, oh, I met these cool people. And she told me, oh no, uh, the friends, if you were wanted to spend time with someone that I liked, I made it really easy for you to spend time with them. And if you want to spend time with someone that I didn't like, then all of a sudden I had chores for you to do. And I had no idea, but she was always involved in that. And I think God is kind of the same way, right? My work and my glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And so he's going to work individually with each individual person. And maybe what Paul needed was a direct intervention. And maybe what I need isn't a direct intervention. But And I'm thinking of a couple of different things too. I think one of those is in the scriptures, we sometimes get very extreme examples mm-hmm. of, of these very, I think we talk about that a lot where in, in church settings where it doesn't always happen like this. These recordings of the scriptures are very elaborate or maybe the more extreme versions of the story that have made it and passed down through generations Mm -hmm. through these stories. So I think that that was one thing I thought of when you were talking. And then I think the other one is it's also up to individuals to whether, whether or not they accept um, this invitation. So maybe those things could happen more often to your point, but maybe we don't, accept them or realize what's going on. Yeah. Well, you think of Laman and Lemuel, they received heavenly visitations and rejected that or chose mm. to act differently. Paul, of course, receives these visitations and chooses to act appropriately. Um, and so I just, I just think that God's much more involved than we give him credit for. Um, to mind comes Elder Bednar's examples of revelation. There are a few examples in the scriptures where God flips on the light. And he does that with Paul. Paul's in darkness and all of a sudden there's this incredible, amazing moment where the light flips on and everything changes. Far more often though, God works like the sunrise where it's very gradually lightening a life, improving it little by little by little. And maybe the the 
challenge to us out of out of Nicole's question is, can we look at our life, and if we don't recognize any light switch moments, can we, however, look back and recognize some of those sunrise, not moments, but sunrise periods of our lives where God's just gradually uh, intervening or using his agency to act in small little ways to bring us more light and happiness? I think this brings up something else that I've had actually a few conversations with, mostly um, online and I guess another friend and I had this conversation about why, you know, why Paul kind of, because they have a hard time with Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, why is Paul, why do, you know, one of them even said like, I just don't like Paul. <laughs> I have a hard time with these letters because he's hard for me to connect with. And I don't know, what do you think? How do we, how do we see these kind of weird random things that he talked about the issues that we talked about last week and then he also has all of these great doctrines that we really focus on mm-hmm. so how do we not focus on one but we really love this one how do we how do we decide what things we like from paul and what we don't i think that's kind of what you're saying earlier paul's kind of this firebrand of a character where yeah. uh, some of the great phrases of christianity some of the great teachings come from paul but then, of course, we have all these nuggets thrown in, uh, you know, about women should have veiled faces and shouldn't speak in church, where we go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And and uh, as we were talking about this question throughout the week, we realized that this study in Second Corinthians actually answers that question quite well on why God would call on Paul specifically, or why he would call on people like Paul. Um, and so what we wanted to do is... Um, give a little background that Paul gives in this chapter, maybe that you've read or will read this week, um, and then answer that question. Why does God call on someone like Paul to be this apostle? Because I think out of all of these chapters, I mean, Paul really opens up about his own weaknesses. I think he opens up in these chapters and says, hey, I know I'm a weak person. I know I'm not the perfect person. I've been through these really awful things. So kind of why me? He, almost like he says the same thing. I don't know why it's me, but here I am and I'm choosing God. And this is why why we choose Paul, why we like what he says, at least why I like what he says. Because yeah. I think these verses are, or these chapters are really fun to learn more about him. So here we go. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to how Paul describes himself. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, who in presence I am base among you. Um, verse 10, uh, he's quoting other people. In verse 9, he says, other people say this about me. His letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Um, he mentions this in chapter 11, starting in verse 24. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes. Save one, thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night and day have I been in the deep. And the journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Uh, And then verse 29, who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. Um, in other words, Paul gives this litany of um, not just his trials, which we talked about last episode, not just the things that have happened to him, 
but the weaknesses that are inherent in him. His bodily presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. Um, Sometimes he offends. A lot of times he offends. And why would God call on someone like that that's so weak in all of these ways and, and even sometimes offensive or abrasive? Why would God call on Paul to do that? Paul himself begins the answer to that question. This is verse 30. He says, I must needs glory of the things which concern my infirmities. Uh, And then this was the verse that we both really love. This is chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, or I think it was in your translation that I take pleasure in weakness, was it? Yeah, it's, uh, so I take pleasure in weakness. So the question we had is, one, how can we take pleasure in others' weaknesses? That sounds like a really bad way to ask the question. <laughs> sounds very devious. <laughs> yeah, why, can, why is it that we can be happy that people have weaknesses? How can we look at Paul, even if he bothers us, or, or, or can we look at other church leaders, local or general, when they say something that we don't like? Or um, how can we look at that with joy and with happiness and pleasure instead of... Um, or maybe even the people that we're close to, right? Or that, you right. know, that we associate how can with we look on a daily at others' basis. weakness with happiness, and of course, how can we look at our own weakness with pleasure and with joy, like Paul? As we studied these chapters, um, kind of a theme that we saw come up was that our weaknesses can help us fulfill the two great commandments: um, loving God and loving others. And so we're going to start in chapter 8 with talking about um, loving others and how these weaknesses can really make us more able and willing to want to love others. So we start chapter 8 and Paul is writing this letter. And I think, just a side note here, picturing him writing this as a letter instead of talking is helpful. Mm -hmm. I think it helps me kind of understand this better. Anyway, um, so he's saying, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. So he's telling the people of Corinth about another city's experience. Chapter 2, during a... Verse 2. Verse (laughs) 2. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. I think that's just a beautiful illustration of what this means. They were suffering. They, it says they were abundantly joyful but they were in ex- their extreme poverty overflowed but it overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part that they just wanted to help and they they hoped that they could be of service and do God's will and i think that's a perfect example that when we have weakness um maybe it's a weakness that we have the same of someone else that we say oh yeah i get you i get you sister cuz i know exactly how that feels to struggle with that. Or maybe it's just that we realize, I know what it's like to struggle with something every single day and still not get it. And your weakness looks different than mine, but I know what you're feeling because I struggle too. And so, and I think this is a great example of how that feels to just feel empathy towards someone else 
when and and through that empathy learn to love and understand them better i think there's been a lot of discussion on this on the interwebs about the value of vulnerability mm. um, and just opening up about our humanness and our weakness to others um, and one of the things i'll say just about our ward is um, when i hear people in our ward that have moved in recently and people that have been here a long time all have very similar comments about our ward and that is people are so open about themselves here and it makes me feel really comfortable because I I feel like I fit in. My weakness fits in here in a ward where everyone just is open about their weakness and I've, I've loved that feeling in that environment in our ward. And I think the reason that that feels so good is because you can see um, the gospel working. It's it's they're there, they're there to be refined by Christ, and they're there to um, to learn from each other, which is how we get, learn to love others, right? Um, we learn again where I'm going to be reading here, starting in chapter nine, verse six. Um, Paul says, "The point is this: the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously." So here's the idea that we all understand. If you don't plant very much, you don't get very much. If you plant more, you get more. Unless you're us that forgets to water. But that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) Each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Um, And moving on to, and then here in verse 10, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. I just think that's beautiful. The more that we are giving and the, the more we get back. And I think we see that. I think that's a true principle. Um, And I love here the emphasis in verse 10 that it is God providing. Um, He's the one that provides the seeds. He's the one that provides the food. He allows us to love and to give to others. Um, And we're enriched and we're given and we're seeing that grace. And kind of what we said earlier, the reason that we can rejoice together when we're Um, maybe sharing in our weaknesses and in our struggles is because we're recognizing that God is helping us, that his grace is there. And I couldn't help but just, I mean, I I think that's why I love these chapters so much is that rejoicing feeling in Paul of he always talks about that grace of God will be in you. And that's later on in verse 14, he says that. And then in 15, thanks be to God for this, uh, his indescribable gift, this gift of grace. I think we titled our last episode on grace gift because that's what the scriptures call it. And all throughout, we get to see Paul rejoicing in the gift of grace. And that is ultimately where the love really comes from, is from this, from Jesus Christ. And I think, I mean, to answer our, our question that how do we, re, how, how is it that we can rejoice or be happy about our own weaknesses and others' weaknesses? Well, if we understand that weakness brings empathy, helps us to understand others and that weakness allows us to understand God's gift and grace to us, then when I'm feeling weak, I can naturally look for those two outcomes. I should be feeling more empathetic towards others and I should be feeling more grateful for God's gifts to me. And if someone else has weakness, maybe that's God's way of helping them to feel more empathetic and to recognize his hand in their life. And so maybe I can be less judgmental of it. Yeah, I think that's what what it comes down to really is the more that we feel 
God's grace and experience that, we're more ready and able to to share that with others and to to be more joyful in in the weaknesses that we have. Well, here come the verses from which we get the title of this episode. And I'll just say, these have always been some of my favorite verses. I love these weak heroes in the scriptures. It's it's not, it cannot be a coincidence that all of these great men and women that serve have such visible weakness in the scriptures. For example, uh, Alma the Younger, Paul, uh, Moses, who can't speak and feels embarrassed to talk to people, and so he has to have a spokesman that comes and comes and and, and works with him. Uh, Nephi, who talks even about his own frailties. Um, all of these, Samuel the prophet, who's called at age 14, Joseph Smith, who's called at age 14, uh, David, who's the youngest in his family and yet becomes the king. This just can't be a coincidence that all of these weak, quote-unquote, weak disciples are called on to lead. I think God's sending a message through all of them that he likes working through weak people. And uh, part of it is because they have maybe they can have that empathy and they can recognize his grace in their lives. Or we can see ourselves more readily in them too. Ooh, yeah. I mean, we can understand like, oh, I get you, Paul. Like th- that's why these verses are so powerful and those people are is because we know that we're weak yeah. and look what God has done with someone with these weaknesses. So I love this principle because I can associate with it. I get it. And I love that, that uh, our scriptural heroes have these very visible weaknesses. So speaking of visible weaknesses, listen to this one. This is chapter 12, verse 7. Listen to Paul's visible weakness. And if it's not visible, uh, he makes it visible. Verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Translation, Paul says, by the way, just so you know, one of my weaknesses is I'm tempted to be conceited. I'm tempted to be boastful. And I think as we were talking, as you were talking with people about why they don't like Paul, he comes off sometimes as a little bit boastful. And he recognizes that and what humility it takes to humbly admit that you are prone to be prideful. Um, And so to help him with that pride and to engender in him humility, he has this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. There's, uh, I've read quite a few different discussions on what it is. Is it a a temptation? Is this thorn in the flesh that there's so much persecution in the church? Um, A lot of people think it could be some physical malady. Does he have a disease or an illness? Uh, Is it something with his eyesight? He talks a lot about in his letters that he uh, wrote this letter with his own hand. Look how large the letters are because he has some poor eyesight. Whatever it is, Paul has some persistent weakness that will not leave him. And as he looks at it, he receives this revelation that the reason I have this weakness is so that I can be humble. Um, of course, that reminds us of the Ether twelve twenty seven, that God says, I give unto men weakness that they can have so that they'll have humility before me. Um, not weaknesses, weakness. I give men and women frailty. I allow them to live in this mortal world because if they can sense that weakness, there's a humility in it, which then allows for this. And this is chapter 13, verse 3. Paul says, 
since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. And then here comes the principle. For he, meaning Jesus, was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. If you want an example of someone that was made weak so that he could be made strong by God, Jesus is the very example. The Jehovah of the Old Testament, the creator of heaven and earth, chooses to be born a mortal child and then to grow as a mortal uh, man, grow into a mortal man with all of the frailties and weaknesses that pertain to that. Um, I had the thought this last week, you know, Jesus probably got sick. Can you imagine Jesus being sick? He probably was heartbroken and had um, worries and fears and doubts and questions. And um, he has this mortal frailty built into him and then becomes empowered by God to become the savior of the world. And uh, there's a great relatability in that. that I can look at if the son of God himself has to go through weakness in order to be fully complete, as he says in Matthew 5 or in, or in 3 Nephi 12, um, then I maybe that's the reason why I'm given weakness, so that I can rely on God's power. It gives me humility and then draws me to God's power, which can make me like him. I just love this study and thinking about how our weakness as people um, help us come closer to Christ. And I loved... Um, this is something from the ESV study Bible. It says, God brought about salvation through the weakness of Christ's crucifixion in fulfillment of Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Christians in turn are to find strength in Christ and not in themselves. Um, and isn't that, I mean, as we think about these first great commandments to love God and love others, this just falls in in line with everything. As we find strength through Christ, we come closer to God. Um, we can't help but love others because we are filling so much of God's grace and the strength of Jesus Christ that they bring when we really understand that they are here to bring us a strength and grace and all the other good words that you can use in those as those synonyms. Mm -hmm. There we go. Um, and in turn, it helps us to love others. And I love thinking of it that way. You know, the, the thought that comes to mind is when Jesus and his apostles are walking and they see the blind man and the apostles ask him, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer, neither, he didn't sin and his parents didn't sin, but that the glory of God might be manifest in him. In other words, God allows us to have weakness so that he can show his power so that we can rely on that power to become strong like him. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We hope that this is the beginning of a great study for you. Thank you also for reaching out, for liking, for following, for subscribing, um, for sharing this with other people. If you're new to the podcast, we're glad that you're here, and we hope that this is something that sparks interest and joy in your personal scripture study, and we will see you next week.